Now, last week I spoke on a purposeful life, living a purposeful life. And uh, we saw in Matthew chapter 5 and how Jesus called us salt of the earth, lights of the world. And we saw that calling in our lives to be change agents, to transform the environment that we are in. Salt, in that respect, we become God flavors. Light, in that respect, we become God colors. And so this week, I want to look at another aspect. I want to talk to you about living a called life. And so I've entitled my message, Called Not Driven. We are to live a called life and not a driven life. So my question to us this morning, first to myself and then to you, in case you choose to hear, are you living a called life or are you living a driven life? What's the difference? The called and driven life are exactly the same on the outside. We will all go through busy and stressful times. We will have challenging relationships that we've got to negotiate and navigate around. Financial struggles, concerns about the future, dealing with health issues. These are all real and they are there for us. What is the difference between a called life and a driven life? The difference lies within. It's the inner life. It's this inner sanctuary, this inner sanctum of our lives. That's where the difference lies. What's going on inside of us? Proverbs chapter 4 verse 23 says this, Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. It's not what you do externally that determines the course of your life. It is this internal compass within you that determines the course of your life. And so today, I want to look at the story of Jacob. And you'll see in the story of Jacob, there are two phases of this man's life. You will see how he was driven in the beginning uh, stages of his life. And then something would happen within him where it will shift and he would be living a called life. And you see that in the two names that he received. He was called Jacob in the beginning. And then at some point of time in his encounter with God, he is called Israel. And so I want to look at these two so that we can look at the, a clear example of what a driven life looks like and what a called life looks like. So let's look at Jacob the driven. His name, Jacob, was given to him because of the incident that happened as he was exiting the womb of his mother. You know the story. Rebecca was pregnant with twins. And um, God had spoken to her, two nations sit within you and they will be at war. And sure enough, right from the start, these two boys were already at war. And Esau was born. And as Esau was coming forth, Jacob is clinging on to his heel, pulling back so that he'll be first. And uh, so in Genesis chapter 25, verse 26, we see that the other twin was born with his hand grasping Esau's heel. So they named him Jacob because the word Jacob means heel catcher. And that's what he was named. Oh, this heel catcher, Jacob. Now you also know that there is another meaning to this word Jacob. And you see that with Esau, 
using a play of words when he calls Jacob a supplanter. And that's in Genesis 27, 36. After Jacob had deceived his father Isaac and received the blessing from Isaac, Esau, when he hears that he, he's no longer going to be receiving the blessing, this is what he says in Genesis 27, verse 36. Esau said, Is he not rightly named Jacob? For he has supplanted me these two times. And he's using, he's playing with the Hebrew word Jacob. Jacob, Jacob means heel catcher, grasping on the heel. Jacob means heel tripper, somebody who would pull you and cause you to trip. You hold on to somebody, pull him back so that you can go forward. And that's why it means supplanter. One who pulls you down so that he can replace you. And that's exactly the experience Esau had with his younger brother, Jacob. So driven by this desire to be first, to have more, no matter what the consequences are, I want to be first, I want to have more, I need to have this birthright and these blessings. And he fights for it, he does whatever it takes, and it took on a negative personality in this man Jacob's, even his very name, and he, is, he was known by the outside world as a grabber, as a supplanter, as a deceiver. He took his brother's birthright. We see that in Genesis 25. And the story goes, Esau was hungry after coming back from a hunting trip and Jacob had this nice pot of stew. You know, you walk around KFC, you can smell KFC's smell. If you're hungry, you're in trouble. All right? Everything in you says, walk in. Fried chicken. All right? And it probably felt like that for Esau. Right? He could smell the stew, the fragrance of the stew. He goes to his brother and says, can I have a pot of stew? But Jacob uses this moment to grab the heel, to grab hold of the birthright. And he said, if you want it, I'll sell it to you for your birthright. And of course, Esau he, was, he decided, what, what good is the, my birthright if I'm going to die of starvation? And so he, he sells his birthright to his brother Jacob. And that's in Genesis chapter 25, verse 31. Jacob says, all right, trade me your rights as the firstborn son. So not only did he take his brother's birthright, he took his brother's blessing. We see that in two chapters later, Genesis 27, and uh, where Isaac already given the blessings to Jacob because he had deceived his father. With the help of his mother, he deceived his father. And uh, Isaac was blind at that time. And so he was confused. And he says to this person who is saying he is Esau, he says, your voice sounds like Jacob, but you smell like Esau. And so he decided it was Esau. And he blessed Jacob instead. So Genesis 27:35, he says to Esau, your brother came with deceit and has taken away. So Jacob grabbed hold of what he felt was his lifelong security. He needed the birthright, he needed the blessing. What's in the birthright? The birthright was this special privilege given to the firstborn child. And it had financial consequences to it. The firstborn son, by virtue of his position, would get a double portion of the wealth of the father, father's inheritance. 
not only will he get a double portion, he would have the ju judicial authority over the father's estate. Right? Uh, similar but actually more than what a p power of eternity has today. He would decide on where the wealth of the father would go to. And uh, so it was material security if you were the firstborn son. And so Jacob had grasped hold of that. He now had hold of the firstborn right, the birthright. The blessing. What's the difference between a birthright and a blessing? The blessing was the spiritual prophetic prayer that Abraham passed on to Isaac and Isaac was going to pass on to his firstborn. Right? It was a covenant blessing that God had spoken to Abraham and this was going to be passed on to the generations that would carry that blessing of Abraham. And so, it's just like a spiritual well-being. You, your, your assurance that you'll be right with God and assurance that you'll be right in the world. So you've got your guarantees, heaven and earth. You have your insurance policies, both intact. So he secures the birthright. He secures the blessing. So he should be the happiest man on earth. He should be the wealthiest man on earth. He should be fine right now. But look what happens in Genesis chapter 27, verse 41 to 45. Genesis 27, 41. So Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father blessed him. And Esau said in his heart, the days of mourning for my father are at hand. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. And the words of Esau, her oldest son, were told to Rebekah. So she sent and called Jacob, her younger son, and said to him, Surely your brother Esau comforts himself concerning you by intending to kill you. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice. Arise, flee to my brother Laban in Haran, and stay with him a few days. Take note of the words, a few days. Stay with him a few days until your brother's fury turns away. He traded his brother for the birthright. He deceived his father for the blessings. He should have had everything now at hand for him. Material security, spiritual well-being. But you know what's happening? He is now running away for his life. Everything that he fought for, everything that his life was driven towards was all gone now. He is running away and all he has with him now is the clothes on his back and a staff in his hand. The driven life produces conflict and chaos externally, as it did in Jacob's life. And the driven life cultivates restlessness in the internal life, as it did for Jacob, as he kept running. That's Jacob the driven. Remember the few days he was supposed to be away? It took 20 years. 20 years later, we pick up this story and we look at Israel, the called. Something went on, and you know the story of the things that were going on in Jacob's life for the 20 years he was away with his father-in-law. You want to rectify a problem in a person's life? Put him with somebody who shares the same problem. So Jacob goes to Laban a bigger deceiver, a bigger manipulator, a bigger guy who was driven by his own desires. And so that's what, that's what God did. Took him and put him in Laban's life. 
to force the internal shift that had to happen for the driven man to become a called man. And so we see, we pick up the story when God has spoken to Jacob and says to Jacob, now it's time to go home. And so he's on his way home, returning to his home, and we pick it up from Genesis 32, verse 6 to 8. What does it mean to go back home? You face your demons that you have run away from. What does it mean to go back home for Jacob? He's got to face his angry brother. The last thing he heard was the brother wanted to kill him. Right? Would 20 years be enough to calm the brother's nerves? He has no idea. So here you pick it up from verse uh, 6 of chapter 32. Then the messengers returned to Jacob saying, We came to your brother Esau. He also is coming to meet you and 400 men with him. If you are Jacob, what do you think is going to happen? This guy is coming to wipe me out. You think that 20 years will, would have softened him. I think it's hardened him. He's trained 400 men. These guys are like Navy SEALs. They're coming to get me. And so he says to himself, Jacob was greatly afraid, distressed, and he divided the people that were with him and the flocks and herds and camels into two companies. And he said, if Esau comes to the one company and attacks it, then the other company which is left will escape. But as you read on a few more verses, you see that we are no longer reading about Jacob the driven. Because you see in his prayer, in verse 10 of chapter 32, he's talking to God, and he says to God, I am not worthy of all the unfailing love and faithfulness you have shown to me, your servant. When I left home and crossed the Jordan River, I own nothing except a walking stick. Now my household fills two large camps. He recognized that he had nothing when he had a driven life. And he walked away with nothing. Now, after 20 years, he could only depend on God. And God blessed him exceedingly. He was a wealthy man. He had two companies, meaning, you know, he had his two wives and they had 12 children together and they had this wealth and he was traveling as a wealthy man, but not a single item of that wealth came from his physical father, Isaac. Everything came from God himself. So this man realized that God was the source of everything he needed. The other thing that he, he realized was that his birthright came from God. His blessing came from God. And so he stopped striving and he began clinging. I'm going to read this story to you, this wrestle that he had with the angel of the Lord. And I'm going to ask you to move away from your logical thinking and go into your world of imagination. And so let me read this to you first. So Jacob was left alone in the camp and a man came and wrestled with him until dawn began to break. When the man saw that he would not win the match, he touched Jacob's hip and wrenched it out of its socket. Then the man said, let me go for the dawn is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. 
Now, think about what's going on here. In those days, two wrestlers, the aim is to topple the other person down to the ground, but you need to stay stable. And how do you stay stable? Your two feet need to be strongly rooted on the ground. So here he is. He is wrestling with this angel. How many of you know that all the angel needed to do is just to flick his finger and the guy would have fallen down? But he's quite amused <laughs> at the way Jacob is wrestling him. But what happens is he touches his hip. He dislodges his hip. What happens when your hip is dislodged and disjointed? You topple. You can't stand. He lost his balance. He lost his ability to stand on the ground. The wrestling match is over. So you think. But you know what he decides to do? He just clings on. Now he's just hanging for his dear life. Clinging on. Can you imagine he's just clinging there? And now it's even more difficult for the angel to be free. Right? Because this guy is no longer wrestling with him. He's clinging on to him. And he clings on to him. And the angel says, let me go. He says, no, I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. And he did get a blessing from God. But can you see the shift that this man had in the realization, I can't wrestle with God as I've been wrestling with men. I need to just cling to him. And that's what he does. He stopped striving. And he began clinging. He couldn't wrestle and so he clings on and receives the blessings that came from God. Finally, he relinquished his egocentric name and identity and received a God-centered identity. Verse 27 to 28 of chapter 32. Your name will no longer be Jacob. The man told him, from now on, you will be called Israel. You know what the meaning of Israel is? Prince with God. Literally, it means to rule with God, prince with God. Now, I'm not going to call the women here princess because the fairy tale tells us the princess is in need of a prince. You don't need a prince. In God's sight, you are a prince. You, male or female, rule along with God as co-partners. You are Israel. Jacob, a driven life, take Take, take. It means heel catcher. Take my brother's birthright. Take my brother's blessing. A driven life. A heel catcher. A grabber. A deceiver. A supplanter. Israel, a called life. I receive from God. I cling to God. Prince with God. Rule with God. Partner with him. No need to grab. No need to deceive. No need to be driven. My security comes from God. My well-being comes from God. The driven life produces conflict, chaos, and restlessness. But the called life is a life of trust, dependency, and co-partnering with God. So let me close with a psalm. And I believe this psalm teaches us how we can move from being driven to being called. How we can move from a driven life and to live a called life. Psalm 37. Let me read the seven verses first and then I'll make some comments 
very quickly and close. Psalm 37. Do not fret because of evildoers, nor be envious of the workers of iniquity, for they shall soon be cut down like the grass and wither as the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Commit your ways to the Lord. Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. He shall bring forth your righteousness as the light, and your justice as noonday. Rest in the Lord, and wait patiently for him. You'd see four words that stand out in this psalm. Trust in the Lord, delight in the Lord, commit to the Lord, rest in the Lord. I see this as the four chambers of our hearts as we try and allow God to renovate this inner sanctum of our lives. And these four chambers are this. Trust. Trust in God. Your security is in God. The psalmist says, trust in the Lord and do good. Then you will live safely in the land and prosper. Trust, but also commit. Commit to God. Your help is from God. The psalmist says, commit everything you do to the Lord. Trust him and he will help you. He also said, delight. Delight in the Lord. Your happiness comes from God. Take delight in the Lord and he will give you your heart's desires. Finally, he says, rest. Rest in God. Your confidence is God himself. Be still in the presence of God and wait patiently for him to act. So I close by saying this. Let's, for 2020, stop being driven by the circumstances around us. Whatever it is, let's stop a driven life, but let's live a called life. Israel, a prince, one who rules alongside God, Trust him, delight in him, commit your life to him, and rest in him.